Hawks, welcome to episode five of the Hawkcast. Our guest today has played 162 games for the Hawks. He has scored 4,382 runs at just a tick over 24 and a half. He's taken 71 catches and even nine wickets. He's our second life member that we've had on the Hawkcast. Welcome, Paul Baird. Thanks, boys. Great to be here. Great to be in the studio. Thanks, uh, Daddy, for coming in. Uh, look, yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, through this COVID situation, I guess you're kind of well prepared for this, given that you and Michelle, you know, work from home anyway. And so I guess it's maybe not as different to you as it is to some of, some of the others. Or... Yeah, look, we are definitely a lucky family. We are totally used to the work from home, um, to work from home businesses. Um, my business has gone a little bit quieter than it normally does, but Michelle's business has gone busier. Mm. Um, but the whole dynamic of just being inside and... and uh, Staying inside your own four walls has not been much of a change. Seems a little while ago now, but I mean, I guess it would have been a tiring but rewarding kind of season as coach, would it? Yeah, tiring and rewarding. You know, we can throw those two in there. It was mostly tiring, to be honest. The second half of the season was was difficult. And I, I know the second half of the season is always difficult. Um, whether you're coaching or whether you're just playing, it does drag out. Yeah, I don't think people realise how much time and effort and work goes into the coaching role. What would you like people to understand a little bit more about what it takes to coach? Oh, I don't know. I, uh, I'm not sure there's anything that I want people to understand. It's uh, the challenge of the coach is to create an environment that people want to be a part of. Um, and sometimes you get a group that are really, you know, um, happy to buy into what you're doing um, and sometimes you don't and you've got to work out what the balance is because it's club cricket, you know, we're not uh, paying these guys to turn up um, and, you know, we're not putting any rules around, you know, how they, how they play or how they train. We're just trying to encourage them to do what we believe is right. Mm. Everyone's got their own belief system too on that too. So you, it always becomes a little bit, um, a little bit difficult and challenging, but that's, Part of one of the things that you, that is rewarding when it all sort of comes together, but no, there's I don't think there's anything behind the scenes. You just hope that you get a group of guys that are going to buy in and and all be part of it. What about was there a particularly um, rewarding moment or highlight from this from this past season? Uh, the way that we hit the ground running was really exciting for me because I knew it was important that we started to um, perform early in the season because we hadn't done that in past years. Even the year that we we made the grand final, we'd lost the first maybe three before we before we gelled and started playing good cricket. So we managed to get ourselves ahead of the eight ball um, this year. So that part of it was exciting. You know, there's a few good individual performances out there. I mean, Caleb Day is, is really progressing as an um, elegant and consistent cricketer. You've, uh, you've said you'll step back from the coaching for next season. I guess, what, what do you want to see the, the club look for in... You know, a guy to I guess take the club to the next uh, through the next little period. Yeah. Okay. Well, this is not the first time I've stepped back from coaching. <laughs> <laughs> Can we expect you so, to come back again? So well, let's just assume, assume, to make your assume that I'm stepping back. But um, look, I'm a believer that you, you've got to get fresh ideas in, and whether it's at the committee level, the presidential level, you know, the executive level, any level, right? And, and the coach is a really critical person to um, the club club dynamic, and you can't just keep running the, the same record around and around again. Um, you know, uh, certainly when I've come back um, a second time, I've tried to reinvent sort of the stuff that we do. So it is fresh for the guys. But um, it's just somebody with new ideas. 
whatever those new ideas are, you know, hopefully there's some pedigree in it that we can say, okay, well, we can see the history of where these ideas are coming from, and we think that they'll work within the group that we've got here and what we're trying to um, what, what we're trying to achieve here as a club. Anything fresh, and any, anyone that's you know prepared to put the time and effort that's into it um, and has a pedigree uh, will be great because fresh ideas are better than stale ones. Mm. Do you think we're do you think we're close, Bertie? Especially as someone who's been around the club for for a while to uh, getting that success, perhaps on the field, perhaps off the field. Uh, yeah, I do think we're very close. Uh, we have the talent to be pushing the top clubs for many years to come with where we are right now. Um, but if we're going to topple the broadies and the mudgies of this comp and really compete for that first grade premiership, we do need to improve on using everyone's skill set. I mean, premiership teams have got 11 contributors. So hopefully the new coach can bring the lads together and take them further than what I could this year. Playing-wise, um, what can we expect? Uh, I mean, you've spoken a little bit about a desire to play a bit with Harry. I know you've had a long run of being able to play with Jack. Um, is that sort of on the cards? Or where, yeah, where do you see yourself playing-wise in, in the next few years? Uh, well, um, I have absolutely loved playing with Jack, and that has extended my career, um, you know, probably by five or six years to be able to do that. Um, really excited to see Harry come through it, um, through the, the junior ranks, and now be big enough and strong enough and, um, and enjoy his cricket. Because he loves it just as much as Jack does, which is thrilling for me. Um, so do I play with him? I don't know. I've, I've been part of the club fabric for so long. I know how a club works. And you've got to make yourself available for whatever the club wants and needs you to do. Now, I reckon those things will probably align with where Harry is like next year. Um, so I'm still going to play. You know, I, I love playing. He had a great, great season, didn't he? I mean, uh, started with Gilly for a fair bit and uh, ended up forcing his way into third grade. I mean, you know, that was, uh, that was really uh, enjoyable to see him rise up through the grades. Yeah, well, I kept pushing his, his uh, barrow at selections. <laughs> that, that doesn't surprise <laughs> me, I've got to say. Actually, uh, I Three did not keep pushing his uh, barrow at selections. I, I stayed out of every, every discussion that involved the kids, you know, because you, you have to. Um, and other people sort of uh, contribute. And Harry's place at the start of the year was in sixth grade. Yeah. And it was by, by fluke that, you know, Benny came over, he was short, and, and picked him out of sixth grade to fill in for, you know, a missing... Um, Henry, I think it was, was, was ill. And, and Harry made the most of his opportunity. And that would have only been because Ben saw Harry bowling in the nets. You know, so Ben would have noted that, okay, well, I know that that kid can do that, so I'll pick him out of the group of 11 guys that are on the sixth grade field. Mm. And the rest is history. And, you know, um, Harry really responded to Ben. Um, ben, I think, is a fantastic leader. He gets the best out of every single per person because he, he I, I believe that he really focuses on them individually. He listens and he cares about that one, one person. And Harry really responded to it. And Harry was then able to, uh, you know, just do what Ben wanted. And as it turned out, that what Ben wanted was really good and it worked. So uh, Harry then benefited by going from fours to threes. And took a few wickets in threes too. So let's take it right back now, mate. Where Betty? Where were you born? Where did you grow up? Where was your first experience with cricket? Oh, okay. Um, I'm a Melbourne boy. Um, I went through a, a grammar school down in the um, the eastern suburbs. Mentone Grammar was where I played cricket. So I didn't have any club uh, interaction as a kid. It was all through the school, um, which was. Terrific, you know, the equivalent is, is TSS, you know, the facilities that we had were TSS level, 
and we played in a, our own grammar school competition and and uh, and I didn't see club cricket until I left school and played uh, briefly down there for a sub-district club called Brighton um, and then I moved to Queensland as a 21-year-old. Uh, played footy for a couple of years and then um, uh, broke my ankle playing footy, that's AFL, um, and then when I came back from that, I decided that uh, cricket was a little bit more <laughs> uh, gentle on the on the body, um, and I restarted playing cricket uh, with Surface Paradise. What, what year was that, sort of? Uh, that was about nine. Uh, it's about 90, 1991, 92, wow. um, and then we went to New Zealand for about seven years. Was that for work or what? what, uh, no, what? That no, it wasn't for work at all. That was uh, Michelle is a New Zealander, my wife, mm -hmm. um, and she was. We met when she left New Zealand to go on her travelling holiday. Um, we fell in love, and ultimately, uh, it was time for her to return home. And uh, that was part of the start of my adventure right. was to go to see someone new over there. So you actually played some uh, reasonably high level cricket, I remember, in New Zealand. Yeah, I that. played for a team called Howick Pakaranga, which was the equivalent of the Dolphins. So that was great cricket in the Auckland competition, and um, we won a premiership one year, and and I have lifelong friends over there. There's probably um, maybe four or five guys that I still keep in regular contact with, um, which is the whole reason why I play cricket is to you know make some friends, and I still have them from those times. What's it like playing cricket in New Zealand versus playing here in Australia? Um, it's look, it's pretty similar. You get used to the the conditions. I think the wickets are a fraction slower over there. Although I've never really considered myself a great aficionado of wickets, um, but they're a lot greener. But they play; um, they still play true. You know, the ball still comes pretty much straight on. And some weeks it's a bit damper than it is, and otherwise would be. But no, it's it's one thing they do do, which is really interesting. Until you actually see it, it's hard to comprehend it. But they share grounds, mm -hmm. so you'll have one game of cricket, uh, like we're, we're one ground per per one oval. Um, they would potentially get uh, three games of cricket going on out on that oval um, and the boundary lines intersect. Yeah. <laughs> so you can be a fine leg for one game and you turn around and you're sort of a, a slightly deeper gully for the other game. So you just got to keep an eye on what's going on there too. I do have that same experience at Sir Bruce uh, Small, two and three. We often share a boundary <laughs> there. So, yep, sixth grade cricket, it's just like playing in New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. my takeaway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> except the Aussies haven't quite got it because there they they just squash the boundaries. So you share a boundary line. Yeah. In New Zealand, they will intersect the boundary oh, lines. Right. Yeah, so you'll actually yeah. go and walk onto Bruce 2 <laughs> and, and you'll be like a cover and, and you'll actually be a deep square league on your own game. So, yeah. Would the, so did the fielders ever like collide or anything like oh, that? No, 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 never. No, but occasionally you'd have to uh, just scoot out of the way or your game might get held up for 15 seconds while the other game... They had come and cleared their ball yeah. away from a, a dangerous area. Yeah. But Kiwis are just clever, you know, yeah. economies of space. That's great. And um, so obviously a great time in New Zealand with uh, Michelle and yourself. What what was the decision like to come back to Australia? Um, we just had Jack and we, we were talking long-term about family, where we wanted to raise our family. And uh, New Zealand, uh, we felt, was pretty bitterly cold. Um, we were living in a house that didn't have great insulation, so we felt it. Um, and we had the, uh, I guess, the affinity that we both met on the Gold Coast and it was pretty much our mutual home, uh, neutral home, if you want. Um, so we decided to, that what better place to bring up a family than here in Australia and 
and the kids would be great lifesavers and, and we'd live happily ever after. Yeah. Worked so, out pretty well so far. Well, except for the lifesaving <laughs> bit. But none of the kids wanted to join Nipsey. <laughs> and so you played, uh, I think, for Mudrabah and then, is that right, and then uh, joined the Hawks? Yeah, yeah. Um, Mudgy was um, sixth grade or it might have been fifth grade cricket, I'm not sure, but I was the, I was the ringer. Um, a mate was had a, a team of a pub team of like eight guys, and he needed a couple of fillings. So that's how I rejoined the playing cricket again from returning um, after probably a three-year absence of playing from my last game in New Zealand to my first game over here. And uh, I, I remember at one point uh, playing on Mudgy three, um, hooked a ball that went you know all the way into the middle of Mudgy one. Mm -hmm. Mudgy one had to stop their game, and I thought, what? on earth am I doing playing on this yeah. <laughs> 3 I want to be over there. Yeah. Um, so I made the decision to return to senior cricket, proper cricket. And what, uh, what made you pick Helen's Vale? Uh, well, that's just a, a, a bit of fortuitous um, uh, life events. Uh, I was about to go back to Surface Paradise because we were living um, just uh, about a kilometre away from the surface ground. But Harry, at that stage in our life, was about three years old, and he was as adventurous as Jack was, and he was a kid that would just open doors and wander. keep walking and wander, yeah. Um, for the parents that have got kids that, uh, you know, you've got to keep an eye on all the time, or well, Harry was one of those kids. And we lived on the main road there of um, uh, Ashmore Road, mm. and it, it got quite frightening, and we thought we need to change where we're living, we need to get a much quieter uh, environment, so we moved to the little court um, that we've got here in Riverdowns. And we've been absolutely uh, a happy family ever since. We couldn't have made a better move. But at that time, um, we were, we'd found the house. We hadn't bought it, but the cricket season was starting to begin. So I'd travel from home to the pre-season over here um, because I knew that this is where my future lies. Right, and you played a uh, number of seasons before then uh, stepping up as coach for the first time. Uh, I guess what led you to go, all right, I'm going to, I was from John White, oh yeah, that you took over, what, what led you to kind of put your hand up there? Felt I could do a better job. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was mean, it always something that you had like on the radar? I reckon my first coach here at Helensville was a guy by the name of Jim Kelly. Um, fabulous guy, lots of fun, um, but uh, I was, I guess, surprised to hear that he wasn't going to be starting until, you know, later in the season. And then when he did come down, the, the environment wasn't quite the environment that I was expecting. I, I, I don't know. I guess I'd, I'd come from a relatively high level in New Zealand and expected that to be here. Mm. And it wasn't. It was different. It was a little Gold Coast club cricket. Um, so eventually when I put my hand up, I'd seen enough coaches to think that I felt that I could have a, I had a better way of doing it. Mm. And was that a similar... Um similar sentiment that brought you to put your hand up off the field as well. So I think it was only your second year here that you took over the treasurer's role. Well, I had time available and I could see the club was uh, not in distress, but in need of assistance. Um, and I befriended Berkey and uh, Berkey asked me to help and I thought I could, so I did. I soon learned that the club was in distress. <laughs> <laughs> You've pretty much, uh, I think even uh, Terry Wilson might have pointed out in a bulletin article that you'd uh, held every role in the club. I mean, but, like, were you proud of seeing where the club was maybe then to where it is now? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the, the people that have been involved in the club have um, done a fantastic job. And we have changed this club incredibly. 
you know, when I got here, there was three senior teams, no juniors, mm-hmm. and uh, zero money in the bank, and and just no direction. Mm-hmm. It was insane. I had no idea. I, I thought I was coming to, you know, the, the Helensville equivalent of Harry Packerang. Yeah. Um, it was not that. <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably been one of my favourite things of doing this podcast is hearing stories of the progression of the club. And um, I always say that, but I think it's really important that people understand that Helensville has not always looked like this, and it's only because of the hard work of a lot of people, including yourself, off the field and you know around the the culture side of things. That um, yeah, we are where we are. So yeah, we owe a lot to the people that have come before us. And I have it, I had it jotted down. Uh, I can't remember this exactly, but I had it noted down that you was it the same school that you went to that Warney went to or something like that? Mentone is That's that right? right? Yeah, yeah. Is there any any connection there? Or? Uh, so this is a story that uh, I guess other people uh, enjoy hearing more than I love telling. But <laughs> um, Warney was a great mate of mine. Um, uh, he was a year younger than me, uh, and we were we were as thick as thieves off the field. Um, he was uh, this outlandish leg spinner that wasn't very good at spinning. In fact, in, in the final year of cricket, my year 12, his year 11, um, he was our, uh, I was the number three batsman, he was the number four batsman, but he was the second spinner. We had another left-arm orthodox, which is why I love left-arm orthodox. Well, that's, <laughs> that's never escaped me. Um, but he would bowl ahead of Shane. Um, Shane always had that X factor, obviously. Um, but at the time, he was, uh, he was a a really good schoolboy cricketer, but uh, I hadn't quite identified how good. <laughs> Others did. The year after that, Shane went on and captained. We won the competition in my year. Um, Shane's year after I'd left school, they won the competition again. Um, and from that point on, the Victorian selectors had picked him up and he was then in the Victorian, basically the Victorian senior setup. And he got shipped away to Adelaide to what was the uh, Australian Cricket Academy where Ponting and Gilchrist went through and he was over there in that time and uh, look I probably saw him two times after that so that was that was a big shame because we were really close mates but uh, that's life that, that happens. Are there things that you see obviously it's very difficult to judge a person from what you read in the media and things like that but are there things that you see in him that are the same as they were back then? Yeah he's the same he's the same guy you know he's just a, a lovable guy that uh, wants to have fun um, and I guess I guess insulated in the, the bubble that was Australian cricket, he didn't have to grow up too quickly, so he stayed a little bit younger for a little bit longer, um, but he got it eventually, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> back to Betty in a minute. We just want to flash back to episode four when we spoke to the Jorgos. Yeah, first ball, this guy bowled no ball. <laughs> they signaled free, so I was like, okay. So I did, I clipped him off my legs over the fence at Southport. I thought I was real good at that point, laughed and said, if you want to go help him, fine, if you can. (laughs) (laughs) Next next ball, he sent me off my way. (laughs) Now, back to Betty. And uh, yeah, I guess so, we've touched on sort of uh, seeing your sons come through the club. Um, I guess I wanted to ask about seeing Jack have that breakthrough innings, uh, 95, I think, was it 95? Uh, <clears throat> against Coomer? It might have been 98 off 95. Oh, okay. yeah. It was, it was yeah. certainly high 90s. But, I mean, uh, you know, like, he'd, similar to, I guess, Jack Lucas and Caleb, like, uh, you know, they'd kind of uh, found their way for a little bit and then to see, like, Jack break through and uh, really, like, stamp his authority on a game, what was that like as a, as a father and as a coach? Oh, it was absolutely thrilling as uh, a father. You know, you always uh, love to 
see your kids do well. Um, as a coach, Jack's been a bit of uh, a tough one because we, we you try and find the best role for them. Um, and and I've had a difference of opinion with Jack for many years um, over what the best role for him is. And that's a tough one because the father strings, you know, come in um, and you give them probably a little bit more latitude than you would somebody else. But uh, uh, yeah, that was fantastic. You know, I, I, I love his aggression. I love his flamboyance and I would never want him to stop it either as a father or a coach because that, that's a game breaker. A guy that can, can do that can, can win a game by himself for you. And if you stack a team full of guys like that, then I mean, you'll have up and down times, but most of them will be up and boy, the, the celebrations after the day will be, yeah. be pretty exciting. And you've even, um, even so obviously coaching has been something you've done with your both your boys for a while, but even um, just was this last season, coaching Harry's team and taking them all the way to, to the top, right? What's that like when you're the coach and, you know, your son's a key part of that team, but you've also got a whole other group of boys? Um, that's really fulfilling and satisfying. Um, and I get a lot of satisfa satisfaction out of the kids that are at the lower end of the skill scale. Um, just watching them improve. Uh, the, the whole reason why I ended up doing the junior coaching was to make sure that Jack had a really good experience through it. And obviously I've, I've continued that same promise, not directly to like Harry, but mm -hmm. to myself to make sure that has, Harry has a good experience. Yeah. And the, the kids love it. The kids respond to it, you know, uh, put a framework up, give them um, some tasks to, to challenge themselves with. And they, they love it. They have a, they tend to have a um, really enjoyable year, mm. and if the results are there, then the results are there. An important year to touch on 2017-18. Uh, I know in the episode three, Jack Lucas, uh, you know, certainly gave you full credit for the tactics. So I guess that helped lead us to a um, lead us to our first first grade grand final. Uh, you've always been one to think outside the box, I guess, but like, was that sort of one of your proudest kind of coaching kind of moments? Like, you know, you caught the whole competition off guard, the way we played cricket that year. Yeah, look, that was, that was a thrilling year. Um, and one that I could see how the personnel that we had here, I could see how we could put the team together and we could compete really well on a, on a one day level. You know, we had, some incredible cricketers in David Young and Ben Daly that hit the ball so hard. So it was how to use them and how to use them effectively in the competition that we had. So uh, it was one of those things, all the plan uh, planets lined up and uh, it all sort of worked out. But yeah, we had to challenge the group or I challenged the group to play as winners. And that was really difficult because we hadn't won much at all over the preceding, um, oh, I don't know, four or five years. So um, to turn uh, the mentality of a group of guys that are not used to winning into thinking like winners, because that's the, that is the greatest challenge to to play this game in your head uh, and to play as a winner. More often than not, you will win. It's it's the biggest conundrum of, of the game of cricket. A lot of people give you a lot of credit, Betty, for uh, transforming that culture. When it comes to that as a coach looking to change culture, obviously incredibly difficult thing, what are some key aspects to that that you think are yeah, really important? Um, I think you need to make a decision on to how you want to play. 
which is do you want to um, play you know, what, what's enjoyable to you as a group you know what's enjoyable is it playing a, a cover drive or is it defending All right? and most people will say well I, I want to showcase what I can do so you have to give them permission to do it um, permission to be good permission to show us the, the shots that you've got um, so it's it's all about okay we might not win every game but do we want to confine ourselves and restrain ourselves from playing how we want to play? Or do we just give ourselves permission to play the way we want to play? So you, put, you, you try and give everybody permission to be free um, and play their shots and be um, aggressive and within a, within a framework of what's going to work. So and that's in that year, we had, like I said, David and, and Ben at the top. And if they got off to a start, we were three quarters of the way home. We just had to basically not lose it from there. We should uh, not forget 2012-13. Uh, Actually, I mean, obviously the second grade, but it was a special you know, year for the club to win win the grand final, win the premiership and earn our way back in the first grade. All your memories, I guess, of that. Yeah, well, going back to uh, that era, was a, uh, that was a, a losing era you know, leading up to that um, when we got kicked out of first grade. And that was, a, a, that was an unusual step that the competition made, but hindsight will say that was, a, and I would, I would side with the people that say that was a really good thing that they did because it enabled us, and I'm sure other clubs were the same, was to drop back a level and start competing and, and getting that winning culture back into the club. The winning feeling, coming back at the end of the day and having a beer and saying, oh, how'd you go? Oh, we won, right? Much better than, than the alternatives. Um, so we were then able to feel better about ourselves and we won more games and in that first year in uh, second grade we made the finals and then to my absolute horror about, and I can't remember who they were, but about four guys made themselves unavailable for our semi-final. And all of a sudden we were, we were going in with um, a sub-strength um, asking a lot of the guys that were called up to compete and we got a a tough wicket and we ended up losing to Broad Beach over Cooma. Um, so that was our first crack at, at finals. Made us pretty determined to, um, to go one step further, which we did the following year, which was a great year. Um, and uh, uh, one of the things that I've always said about, uh, you know, if you want me to be a good coach, give me good players. And I was then allowed to bring in um, some imports. Mm -hmm. And that's when we got Danny Edwards over for that year. And Danny was just like a little angel out of heaven because he contacted us. I think we put an ad in the on the website that said like an international player program, something like that. Danny responded to that. We got him out, and uh, he was a terrific guy, one of the best players that I've ever played. So let's talk about your own game now, Betty. So uh, you've you've managed to remain competitive in first grade uh, even after your fiftieth birthday, which is amazing. Um, I guess how. How have you been able to maintain that level of skill and level of fitness? Um, well, I've always maintained fitness. I, I enjoy being fit. Um, uh, I enjoy road running and, and um, just staying healthy. That has allowed me to, I guess, play um, a 75 over game of cricket because, you know, my body can handle that. Um, as far as the skill level, it, it you know, I, I have a relatively simple um, process every ball that's bowled at me. You know, I just go through the same process. Um, and it sort of works to about, what, 24 runs in innings. <laughs> <laughs> what's, uh, what's the process? Oh, well, it's, um, uh, 
it's trying to treat each ball um, the same. It doesn't matter what has just happened or what's going to happen, you know, five balls time, but what's happening that ball. And, and I try and get him behind the line of it. Um, I try and get my elbow up and I try and play the ball back to where it came from. And that's as, as simple as it, it basically gets. You, uh, I think it was 2013-14, you, you led the first grade competition, like, batting-wise. Uh, is it, have you noticed, is it, like, harder sort of five, six years on as, as you get older? Like, has it become more difficult or not, not really? Oh, look, it's, no, it's as hard as it's always been. You know, you always get a couple of good cricketers that will come through the competition. I think the competition has got better since all of the clubs have started importing a few players. Um, uh, it naturally, uh, the standard naturally improves. Um, but it's always hard to make runs. You know, you've always got a guy that's trying to get you out at the other end. So you've, uh, we're typically our own worst enemies. We will just eventually lob a catch to someone that we shouldn't have, um, as opposed to somebody cutting one back in off the, uh, you know, off, outside off stump through the gate. It doesn't happen too often. And uh, your your own game, playing for such a long period, is there one or two key... Uh, well, let's go, is there a technical aspect that you feel like has was a big change uh, that helped improve your game? Oh, I don't know. No, just... Just keeping keeping it simple. I mean, the, the older you get, the simpler you do keep it because it, you can overcomplicate stuff. But the more balls you hit, the more... Um, and I've always tried to have a bat, a train. Um, even when I'm coaching, you know, it's my playing coaches is as important as, as the coaching side to... Because if I can't um, justify my place in the team, it's a pretty hard place to then suggest to people how they should be doing things. So that's always been important to me to, to have the respect of my, um, my fellow players. Um, but no, just uh, keeping, it, keeping it simple, as I said, trying to play straight for longer, um, and I've had different techniques to try and help myself mentally do that, you know, counting um, a certain number of balls and um, before you, you sort of allow yourself to go outside that framework was one thing I did at one point, but I've just settled back on that every single ball um, I'm just looking to basically drive it back towards where it came from. So it's more of a mental mental thing. Would you say that's been a bigger improvement for you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 as you get uh, older and and tiredness sets in quicker, the mental side of it gets more challenging. Mm. So uh, you know you find that you get to uh, I don't know about thirty runs, and you can literally feel your brain go. You know, I've had enough here. Yeah. I'm going to take this boy downtown. <laughs> Which you fight. <laughs> you fight that little Initial, voice. That little yeah. voice you call Harry, I think. Little, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, is, there a, is there a best or favourite innings, I guess, that you've played for the club that, you know? Um, well, uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. And one was, uh, it was with Berkey. And it was leading up to the final series, I think, in our first yeah, year. We've got it written down here, 2011-12, and I know the innings I was there. I, I, we were about six for 50, I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were, we were dead and buried, and, and we needed this victory to, to ensure that we played finals. Otherwise, the year would dis- disappear. It was one of those points in the season where you're at the tipping point, and we... we so what was it? Six to six or fifty? We, oh, I don't know exactly what it was. That was the soft, yeah. But we 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 lost our top order, um, and I was in, and, and Berkey was had come in at you know his seven or eight or wherever it was that he was batting, mm. and and he played about 
80 defensive shots that behind his pad where he didn't didn't play at the ball, which, which is a classic Berkey shot. And the, the boys, of course, um, that know Berkey will understand the shot that I'm referring to. But he was he was incredible. He stayed um, and I scored at the other end. And I managed to score freely and he just didn't get out. And we were both so determined because, as the, you know, uh, history says, we've been here for a while. And that was our opportunity to get into the finals and break through. Mm. Um, and that was a really great moment that I shared with him. Do you remember what you scored? I think I think that might have been my high score, 124. 125. 125. Yeah. yeah. Well done. And uh, what about the following year, mate? What what, are, what can you tell us about? I've got two centuries here. So what can you tell the, us about your 100 not out against Runaway Bay uh, in 12, 13, yeah. early in the season? Um, I think that was here. Um, I, I guess we went on to win the game. I might have had a partnership with Jack during that game, which I think there was one game which was um, particularly special for my family because my father, who is still Victorian-based, had come up um, to watch, to spend some time with us. And, of course, cricket is our life, so he came down and he watched. And I made a, a big score, and Jack might have got close to a 50, and we might have had a pretty big partnership on the day that he was here. Mm. So that was particularly special. I'm not sure if that was that day or not. Mm. Um, I don't remember any too much about that runaway bay century. Fair enough. Uh, another fun fact I'd jotted down was that uh, I know you, you uh, are a, a fan of the Suns and you actually hosted or housed Matt Shaw in, your first, in, in the Suns inaugural year. Was that right? It was, yeah. When the, the, the Matt, Suns took on a lot of young players yeah. when they got those draft picks. And Matt obviously has played for many, many years there. Uh, when you were there for his first year, housing. Yeah, well, that was um, as much as uh, a family trying to make ends meet at the time. Um, that was another way that we could, um, you know, supplement our family income. And another family was uh, involved in that program and they interest, introduced us to us. And we ended up uh, looking after Matt Shaw and Alec Megan, two boys. Um, and they were a great influence on our kids, which is what we, we hoped for. You know, we hoped that they would come in and show um, Jack... Uh, particularly how a professional athlete would work. So Jack now does exactly what they did, which is spending about 18 hours in his bedroom. Uh, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> it's, I tell you what, we had those kids when they were 18 years old, Gee. and you have no idea until your own kid is 18 when you realise how immature that is. Mm. But these kids have been pushed out, go and play professional football, Left home, right? Left home, yeah, yeah. Alex, Alec Megan come down from the Sunshine Coast and Matt Shaw come up from Melbourne. Um, they were kids. They were, they were just kids. It was amazing. The expectations that the sons had put on them yeah. to be young adults in this world and and they were just not ready. So mm -hmm. that was really surprising. And how long did they stay with you just for that first year? Um, no, a couple of years. I think, I think we had Alec for two years and maybe Matt for three years. Wow. Yeah. Uh, we'll jump into the throwdowns, uh, the five question segment, starting with, you know, the best play you've played with at the Hawks. I would give that honour to now, a few good players, uh, but uh, Danny Edwards. Um, Danny won us the, the, um, the return to first grade um, premiership, and he was, Danny was a huge player in getting us to the semi-finals mm. when he came back. So that, that's, that was his two... Influencing years, so without doubt, I'll give that to Danny. A lot of people mention Danny, and I always like to ask what what made him such a good player. His control, his control. He would rarely bowl a bad ball, and pressure would build, 
and uh, I'd stand at first slip and watch the ball just turn away from that outside edge and and boys not cope with how to play him. Mm. And uh, and he was very good with his um, uh, speed control as well. He'd, he'd sum up the, the conditions pretty well as to how quick he needed to bowl the ball to get the, the most out of the turn that it was offering him. He was, he was clever and he was skillful. That's great. Uh, you've got a big pool to choose from, from here, but what about the best player you've played against? Um, I've always loved playing against um, Reese McDonald. Um, Reese has been a powerhouse uh, in the early days at Southport Labrador. He'd make runs and take wickets against us in those days. And then he went to Broadbeach and bowls a fast, accurate outswinger. Um, and he would have, I don't know what the bakes will tell you what the stats are, but uh, he would be well ahead of the count um, against me. I really admired him as a cricketer. Just poking outside the upstand? That's what he tries to get me to do. <laughs> Didn't work so well against Ben Daly, as I recall. Ben. Well, that was one of the one of the great highlights was when Ben took him down, yeah. um, and then um, then we went on to to beat him in that semi. Is there a uh, funniest memory that you know stands out from from your time here? Yeah, a lot of the fun happens off the field. So um, I guess the one of, one of the great days off that we had, and we were a group that always um, would get together on our off-season days or if we had a bye or something like that. But we had a flunky ball day, which was a competition that I'd introduced and seen on the internet that uh, I think came out of the back of Netherlands or something like that. But it involved uh, throwing a ball and drinking a drink um, <laughs> regularly. <laughs> so we had a lot of fun that day. That was, that was good fun. Got dressed up and the boys had a laugh. That's great. What about, uh, what about our most memorable win? Um, well, a few. Uh, certainly winning the, the return to first grade, um, we, we, we were a club that had been sort of kicked around for quite a bit and we then had to go back to the competition and prove that we'd, we'd reached a, a certain level and we did. So there was a huge amount of satisfaction out of that. Um, I always uh, will buy Matuletta beer whenever I see him because he was man of the match that day and he made a, an incredible 72 off. Uh, 324 balls or something. Out <laughs> of the entire 75 overs. He was amazing. And without him, you know, we wouldn't have won. But that's cricket, isn't it? You know, someone pops up now and then and, and as a team you, you get there. So, yeah, that win was probably um, the most memorable. That's good. And lastly, uh, yeah, what keeps you coming back? Oh, the boys. The boys and the game. You know, I love the game. Um, I love the... the the individual chance to show that you can, you've got a skill set, um, and I love it when, as a team, you're able to produce results. and And it might not be you that has the good day, but you still get to enjoy the, the, you know, the victory. That's the boys. That's the, that's the whole group. Um, mostly the friendships that you make. Working from home, you you don't get a lot of contact. Mm. So coming down to the club and being part of a, a, a much wider group of guys that have got similar interests, um, that keeps me coming back. That's great. Thanks so much, Paul. Bertie, thanks. Always uh, enjoy your insights into the game and into the club. So uh, thank you for, for for your time today. Thanks, Paul. We'll, uh, thanks for we'll having there. Should we Cheers. sing the club song? <laughs> We found that really interesting, uh, Betty being uh, yeah, very open and honest there and uh, taking us through some great stories. Uh, now we'll, we'll flash ahead to uh, next episode on the Hawkcast with club favourite Josh Mitchell.
So I've looked up, and as the ball's coming down, somehow Paso is on his head, and his, <laughs> his ankles are facing the ball. <laughs> so, of course, he didn't catch it. But, you know, so he, he's, his nose is busted, he's, you know, his teeth, his gums are all bleeding and all this. And I just, I just didn't know how that happened. Like, because I didn't see it because I was looking at the ball, but he somehow ended up completely inverse <laughs> to the way he was when I last looked at him. So, yeah, that was, uh, that was funny. Really looking forward to that one. That will be uh, one not to miss. Plenty of funny stories there. Feel free to get in touch as always if you have any suggestions or any guests you want us to tee up. Until next time, thanks again. <laughs>